The world says to you that you are good enough. And everywhere you turn, I think that's the message that you get, that you are good. So here's a few messages I found was on the internet. You are good enough. Believe it. Um, there's more. Cheesy handprints everywhere. You are good enough. There's a lot of these handprints. Um, here's another one. Stop thinking you aren't good enough. Here's another one. I'm good enough. Nice on the midriff. Very nice. Very nice. Here's another one. You are good enough. There's loads of these. You are good enough. You are good enough. You are good enough. And L'Oreal says, and you all know this, you're worth it. You're good enough. Um, the whole world is trying to tell us that we're good enough. The world is a bit like a cheerleader telling us we're good enough. So here's my pom-poms. Especially for today. I'm going to do a little bit of a chant for you. This is, my, um, this is the world. It says, you can do it. You are good. You treat everyone like you should. Yeah, go you. <laughs> no. Um, it's not just well. Everyone, everyone sort of recognises. Here's uh, Lisa Kudrow. She used to be in Friends. She says, um, I found the right man. I got married. and just had to keep not reinventing myself. Just deciding that it doesn't matter what you are if you're a good person. Very nice. Thank you for that. Lisa Goodrey. Here's another guy coming up. Robert Maplethorpe. Um, He was a famous kind of photographer and artist. This is what he said. I don't believe in dogmas and theologies. I just believe in being a good person. And people always seem to say that um, if God is there, well, he'll accept me. I'm pretty good after all. And people say, I'm not perfect. I don't really hurt anyone though. Heard people say that? I reckon most people think that they are good enough for God. And if anyone ever says to someone, you're not good enough, you get all these messages. No, 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 you are good enough, you are good enough, you're a good person, you're good, you're good, you're good. And I reckon lots of people out there in the world, they think that Christianity is just for needy people. And people who are really bad, who need to have their lives turned around. And bad people like who we saw in chapter, Acts chapter 9, like Saul. You know, how bad can you get? He went around murdering Christians. He needs forgiveness, he needs to become a Christian, doesn't he? he's a bad person and maybe you think oh who are the people in history who who really need forgiveness who need to become Christian well you think people like Hitler he's a bad man he needs forgiveness I mean we don't we're we're good aren't we and you know murderers rapists fraudsters bullies thieves racists they need to become Christians because they're not good but the rest of us we're all right and you know sinners and tax collectors comes up again and again in Luke and Acts they're the people who need to be forgiven, aren't they? Not good, nice, middle-class people. They don't need forgiveness, do they? And well, what about the demon-possessed in Acts 8? They need forgiveness. They need Jesus because, well, they're demon-possessed. They're not good. And people who are ill, they need to become Christians because they're needy. Like all the people in Acts 8, the cripples and the beggars. But the rest of us, we're doing okay, aren't we? We've got no obvious needs. Um, so, by and large, we're good people. People in forward are nice, good people. Here's the world. More pom-poms. You are fine, you are fine. No need for God to waste his time. Not with you. You're all right. You don't need God. God would waste his time if he tried to come to you. I mean, we're just, forward is full of good, middle class upright, moral people, isn't it? And I reckon uh, many of us have bought into this way of thinking. You start to think that people are good enough for God. 
And that's definitely what I was struck by as I was preparing for today. And I look at my friends and I think, well, they're pretty nice. Um, they're kind. They do good things. They're really nice to me. <laughs> they have me around for meals. We have nice conversations about things. Um, they're not perfect, but my friends, I'd say, by and large, are, are good eggs. That's what I'd say about them. And so what goes on in my head, I think, well, they're all right, aren't they? They're good. They're kind. They're moral. They don't really need to hear about Jesus, do they? Not really. And last week we said the gospel is for all people. Um, people from any culture, any country, any language, any hair colour, any race, any ethnic group. Uh, the gospel is for all. Uh, we saw the gospel was for all types, the bad, the needy, the okay. And today we're going to see that the gospel is for the good. I think when I was preparing for this week, God sort of revealed to me just how much I'd bought into the world's way of thinking. I started to think that people are good enough for God. And I read about Cornelius, who we're going to focus in on this morning, and I thought when I first read it, oh, he's okay. He's accepted by God because of his good deeds. So I genuinely thought the first time I read it, and the second time, and the third time, until something hit me like a bolt of lightning. But let's see what you think. Um, Jake's going to come up and read to us. Um, so Acts... Chapter 10 and verse 1 to 8. Great, well, we're introducing, aren't we, to Cornelius. And Cornelius is the good man, isn't he? He is good. Just look at verse 2. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need, and he prayed to God regularly. Cornelius is a good man, isn't he? It's pretty amazing, I reckon. Um, he's so good, he's got his whole family involved. They're all together, God-fearing, good deeds. They're all there. They're sincere, they're committed, and they're pretty religious, it looks like to me. Um, and when it says God-fearing, I guess that means they respect God, they revere him, I think that's what it means. Um, they give to the needy, so anyone who they can help, they look after, they care for them. It's like brilliant, don't they? Uh, and they pray regularly as well. They seem to have it all, don't they? Um, fear God, good deeds, prayer. It's the full package, isn't it? Couldn't be any better. Um, Cornelius, Cornelius, he's our man. If he can't do it, no one can. He's the good one, isn't he? He's brilliant. He doesn't see anything wrong with him. And it seems like this devout God-fearing guy with good deeds and prayers, plenty enough. But let's just think about that for a second. If being God-fearing... Good deeds and prayer is enough. Well, let's see what this means. Well, it means that Muslims are okay, doesn't it? Because, well, they're God-fearing. They seem to do good deeds. And they pray, even in the middle of the street. Muslims are in, aren't they? Or let's chase it a bit further. What about um, these guys, these Hindus? You know, Hindus, are, they seem God-fearers. They, they do good deeds. My, one of my mates, he's a, he's a nominal Hindu. He does loads of great stuff, loads of charity work. Um good enough for God by the sounds of it, if that's right. If Cornelius is in, then Muslims are in and Hindus are in and, and Buddhists are in as well. Religious, moral, prayerful, good deeds, they're in. If Cornelius is in because of that, then they're in. Now I guess most of us thinking alarm bells are ringing, that can't quite be right, can it? Because other stuff we know about what the gospel says. And so just look at verse 4. Here's what the angel says to Cornelius. The angel asks him, Your prayers and gifts to the poor 
have come up as a memorial offering before God. A memorial offering. And God seems to have looked at Cornelius' life and he's gone, brilliant. Cornelius, he's good. Now, a memorial offering is something we need to think about and that'll help us understand what's going on here, I think. But a memorial offering was a burnt offering um, that was taking place um, in the tent. There was a burnt bit where they did all the burnt offerings. It was like a bit of grain and flour that was burnt there as a memorial offering to God. And there were two particular, there's loads of sacrifices in the Old Testament. There were two particular sacrifices that the uh, memorial offering was added into. And one was called the grain offering. And so you'd add in a memorial portion of flour. And the grain offering was all about showing how dedicated you were to God. Okay? So this seems to be God saying, okay, you, you seem dedicated. That's what he's talking about. Uh, but there was also another offering that um, a memorial offering would be added into. And it was the sin offering. Uh, and the sin offering was all about having atonement made for your sins of omission. Uh, let me explain that a second. Um, sins of omission are the sins of the things that you've not done that you should have done. Okay? So the Bible has um, lots of categories of sin. So there's the things we do do, which are wrong. Yeah? But there's also, we need forgiveness for the things we haven't done, which we should have done. The sins of omission. And um, this um, memorial offering, which added in with the burnt offering um, of, of a, a lamb or a goat, um, was to bring atonement. Now you're probably thinking, that's quite a long word. What does that mean? Well, I've, I've split it up on the screen to help you get an idea. Um, at one mint. That's the way. Slow it down. Say it. That's what it means. At one mint. Um, atonement or at one mint is all about making you at one with God. And bringing people who were previously against him back into a relationship with him. That's what at one mint is all about. At one with God. Um, so we're supposed to love God with all our hearts. And we're supposed to love others like ourselves. And we're supposed to love our enemies. And when we don't do those things, we need forgiveness for them. Because they are our sins of omission. Does that make sense? Um, so the things we haven't done, like loving God properly, loving other people properly, loving our enemies and so on, we need to have them made atonement for. We need to have those forgiven so we can be at one with God. And so it's not just the things you've done wrong, but the good things you haven't done. Now, you're probably thinking, what's all this got to do with Cornelius? Well, Cornelius is good, he's devout, he's dedicated, but he's lacking. Because he's never had a sacrifice to bring atonement. He's dedicated, all right, God says you're dedicated, but you're missing out because you've never had an offering of a sacrifice that will make you at one with me. That's what he's missing. I think that's what's going on here. He's lacking a true offering for his sin that will make him at one with God. This is a sacrifice he's never heard anything about. This is a sacrifice he couldn't make because he wasn't Jewish. And so you see what this means. Even good people like Cornelius need to be saved. They need a sacrifice of atonement made for them. That's why Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, nice atheists need to be saved. Because being good isn't what saves you. The only way that Cornelius was to be saved was not his good deeds, but a sacrifice. That's what he needed. There's only one way for him to know God. 
And it's not him being good. It's having a sacrifice that made him at one with God, atoned for. Which is why back in Acts 10, you see what happens in verse 5. This is what the angel says. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. There's something that Cornelius lacks and Peter can tell him about it. God says, you're dedicated, but you're missing out. Get Peter and he'll tell you all about it. Now my guess is that some of you are thinking, well, why? Why? Why aren't good deeds enough? Why can't good deeds save you? Well, let's do a little thought experiment. I want you to imagine that being good could save you. Let's imagine that is true for a second. Let's have a little thought experiment. Let's imagine that being good is what saved you. Now, you're either going two ways at the moment. In your head, you're thinking, brilliant, yes, I'm all right. Or more likely, you're thinking, oh, no, I've got no hope. But let's imagine you're one of the people you're thinking, yeah, I think good deeds will save me. Well, instantly you're filling up with pride, aren't you? You're starting to look around at other people and you think, well, they're not going to get to God on that method, are they? They're not good enough. But no, you're not as good as you point out your Henry there, sorry. Um, but you, think, you start looking around at others and you think, well, they're not good enough for God. And you start thinking, well, God loves me because I'm brilliant. I do all these good things and God loves me because I'm just so good. And so you look down the nose at all the other people who, who aren't good enough. He weren't saved. You could think they're inferior. And God would never want anything to do with them. They don't deserve to be saved. I reckon the problem is we, we kind of we love this to be true. We'd love it if we could earn our way to God by being good. We love the idea of saving ourselves. We love the idea about it being good because we can feel good about ourselves, about how wonderful we are, that we're not as bad as other people. But if that was the good news, good news, it would never go very far, would it? Because if you were saved by being good and you looked around everyone else, you thought they were rubbish, well, they'd just stop with you. And last week we saw the gospel is for everyone. And it'd be even better, wouldn't it, if, um, if it was true that it was just by being good you got to heaven because none of those awkward conversations with your friends about Jesus and how they need to trust him. It'd be win-win. You know, all my friends who are nice, good, kind, moral, we'd never have to, I'd never have the awkward conversation where I say to them, you know, I think you need to be rescued by Jesus. We'd always get on happily, you're good, I'm good, we're all going to be with God, brilliant. It's win-win. Uh, but here's the thing, and we all know this deep down. There's lots of good we don't do, which is just as bad as the bad things we do do. Uh, we've done a thought experiment, let's do, an, let's do a reality check. Let's do a reality check. Um, here's a guy I think he begins to understand it. Um, Enrique Iglesias, he gets on the, he's on the pulse with these things. Look what he says. He says, I'm a good person, but with many defects. I think he's been quite honest about himself here, isn't he? I think he realises the problem. We, we can be good in all kinds of ways, but we're wrong in all kinds of other ways, aren't we? We get things wrong. We hurt other people. We don't love God properly. We don't love others. We don't put them before ourselves. We don't love our enemies. Uh, here's another guy, Nick Hornby. He wrote lots of um, books, really good ones, actually. He says this. He says, I'm a good person in most ways, but I'm beginning to think that being a good person in most ways doesn't count for anything very much if you're a bad person in one way. Hits the nail on the head, I think. Even if you're a good, respectable, kind, moral person, 99.9% of the time, 
How do you deal with the 0.1% that you're not? What do you do about the amount of good you haven't done that you should have done? Being good isn't good enough. You can be good, but not saved. You can be good in all kinds of ways, but not saved. You can give to the poor. You can fear God in some way. You can say prayers just like Cornelius and not be saved. Because good isn't good enough. Good has never been the way to have a relationship with God. He's always been based on a rescue, always based on a sacrifice. It's always been the way. Which is why the angel doesn't stop with God saying, God's seen your good deeds. And he goes on in verse 5 and says, Now send men to Joppa to bring back Peter. See, what God is saying really clearly is that the good need the gospel. The good need the gospel. And just look at verse 22. It's a bit later on. We haven't had it read this morning. And we're going to look at a few verses which show why Peter's gone and what he's going to say. And he builds it. So verse 22. uh, The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Uh, So Cornelius knows that this guy, Peter, is going to have to come to him. And he's got a message for him. Um, and his message is not going to be God loves you because you're good. But that would be nice for him to hear. It's not the message. Look at verse 33. Uh, so I sent for you immediately, Cornelius says, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. God has told Peter what he's going to say to Cornelius. It's what God wants this guy, this good, God-fearing, kind man. And I think this is exactly what God wants religious and good people in our generation to hear as well. And what is it? Look at 11 verse 14. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. What Peter is going to say to Cornelius and his family is a message of salvation. This message shows us that Cornelius needs a rescue. I think this is a surprise to us. Because we're so used to thinking that good people will be all right. But God says, even to Cornelius, Cornelius, he's our man. If he can't do it, no one can. He can't do it. Cornelius cannot do it. His good deeds are not enough. That's what God's saying. You need to be saved. And if Cornelius can't do it on his good deeds, then you certainly can't. And I certainly can't. They need saving. There's the good they don't do and the bad things they do. There's the pride of thinking we're better than others because of our goodness that needs forgiving as well. Good people need to stop trusting in their own goodness to be saved. Instead, they must trust Jesus. And here's a verse from a bit earlier on in Acts. And this kind of flows throughout the whole of Acts and the whole of the New Testament. It says, Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. No one else. No other name. It's Jesus. This is the only way to be saved. If you're bad, you must call on the name of Jesus to be saved. If you're a Muslim, you must call on the name of Jesus to be saved. If you're a Hindu, you must call on the name of Jesus to be saved. If you're an atheist, you must call on the name of Jesus to be saved. If you're good, you must call on the name of Jesus to be saved. There is no other way. 
I can't call out my name and claim on my good deeds and think that will save me. Jojo, you're not the man. You can't do it, but Jesus can. Jojo, you're not the man. You can't do it. Jesus can. And this is the message that Peter declares to religious and good guys like Cornelius. To perhaps people here this morning who think you're good enough for God, for your friends who you think they're okay. It's not about us. Salvation is found nowhere else than the name of Jesus. And so that's exactly what Peter preaches to a good man. Just look at verse 39. He tells him the gospel. Verse 39. We are witnesses, Peter says, of everything Jesus did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen by us, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. See his message? It's no different to a good person than it is to a bad person. He says Jesus died on a cross. He lived the perfect life. He died on a cross. God raised him from the dead. They saw him risen, truly resurrected from the grave. One day Jesus will judge everyone. Therefore, anyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness for the things you've done wrong and forgiveness for the sins of omission, for the good things you haven't done that you should have done. Forgiveness for the bad you've done. Forgiveness for the good you've done for the wrong reason. This is the only way to be saved. The only way to have a relationship with God. There is no other way. There never has been and there never will be. Jesus is the judge. And what you make of him is what the judgment is based on. Not your good deeds. Knowing Jesus, believing in him, is the way to be saved. It's the only way to have a relationship with God. So what? So what? Explain what you're thinking. Well, last week we saw the gospel is for all. And the reason is this is because anyone can be forgiven. Anyone. If the gospel was just for the good, that would rule out most people. It would rule out me, and my guess is it would rule out all of you. But the gospel is for all people, regardless of race, colour, culture, hair colour, goodness or badness. And did you see what this means? Don't trust in your goodness to save you. Don't ever slip into trusting in your goodness to save you never been the way you could have been saved it wasn't the way you were saved when you became a Christian and it's not the way you're saved now it's only and ever has and only ever will be is through Jesus believing in Jesus trust him and nothing else for your salvation nothing else and do you see what this means perhaps for your friends however good however kind however religious and any religion, they must trust Jesus if they're going to be saved. To let them carry on thinking they're okay because they're good is to leave them facing Jesus as their judge. 
and that leaves them in a perilous situation. They can only be saved if they know and trust him. It's the only way. Jesus died on the cross for the bad, the good, and the downright ugly. This is what our God is like. You see the lengths that Jesus goes to to save everyone. He wants all kinds of people from all over the world, however good, however bad, to see how much he loves them in his son. Jesus goes to the cross for the good and for the bad, for people from all over the world. And you see, that's why Christianity is good news. Because God's not demanding perfection from us and good deeds. He longs for us to know him and trust him. That's what he wants. He wants us to know him and have a relationship with him. That's what Jesus is like. The Lord of all comes down to this earth that's so corrupted by sin and willingly dies. He rises again that we might know God. And so when I think about my friends, they desperately need to hear this, don't they? Desperately. Even my mate who is a nominal Hindu, who's the, probably the nicest person I know, far nicer than any Christian I know. The only way he can be saved is if he trusts in Jesus Christ. And actually, it's much easier, isn't it, than having to be good. That's why the gospel is brilliant. If it was about me being good, I would fret every day for whether I was good enough. But as I look to Jesus, who dies on the cross for me, he says, forgiven and saved. Despite what my, my life is like. Despite the things I do wrong. And despite the good things I don't do, which I should. So are you with God on this? Are you going to agree with him that this is the only way to be saved? Or are you going to carry on thinking there's another way? Are you living this out yourself or are you trusting in your own goodness? Do you really think your friends need Jesus or do you actually think they're really okay without him? See, Jesus, Jesus, he's the man. He can save us, nothing else can. Acts 4.12 tells us clear as anything. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. That's true for you. That's true for your friends. That's true for the whole world. So let me pray that we believe this and live out. Heavenly Father, I praise you that there's only one way to be saved. And it's not based on us and our performance. I thank you that it's all about what your son has done for us on the cross, bringing us into relationship with you by dying in our place, bringing us wonderful forgiveness and a relationship with you. We thank you that that message has come to us and that if we trust it, we now know you and are loved by you and we'll get to be with you forever. Father, I pray you'd help us see that this great message is not just for us, 
but for everyone. And so help us to change the way we view our friends. Would we not see them as good people who are okay, but people who are in desperate need of hearing about your son and finding salvation and life in him? Father, this week, help us to love our friends enough that we might share not just our lives with them, but the good news about Jesus. We ask for courage in this. We ask for conviction that this is true. And we ask that in your kindness you would draw our other people, like our friends, to know you and enjoy the salvation they can have.